Maxwell House Coffee presents Good News of 1939. The makers of Maxwell House Coffee again present to you another full hour of sparkling entertainment from the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Studios in Hollywood. Tonight you will hear Lionel Barrymore, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol with Reginald Owen, Jean Lockhart, Kathleen Lockhart, Anne Rutherford, and of course, Fanny Bryce with Hanley Stafford, Frank Morgan, the songs of Tony Martin, and the music of Meredith Wilson. Here is your host for this evening, Robert Young. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Meredith Wilson gets our show underway with a brand new song from Cole Porter's current Broadway hit, Leave It to Me. The song, Tomorrow. Meredith will play Tomorrow right now, which is a good trick if you can do it. Maestro? Martin, the singing star from 20th Century Fox Studios, to bring us the new Ben Oakland, Sam Lerner hit song, Everybody's Laughing. All right, Tony. Uh, Tony! Warren, where's Tony Martin? Oh, I haven't seen him, Bob. I, I guess he hasn't shown up yet. Well, isn't that nice? Well, ladies and gentlemen, as long as Tony isn't here yet, uh, we'll uh, Bob, go on the about... Now. Oh, it's about time he showed up. Gosh, Big... Bob, uh, I'm sorry I'm late, but it's all your fault. Yeah. Yeah, you're My one, fault? Sure, you're the one who suggested I go out to your Bel Air stables and take up horseback riding, and that's why it's your fault. Well, what happened? Well, your riding master out there strapped me on a horse and... Strapped uh, you on a horse? Yeah, he got tired of picking me up. And you know that that big oak tree right by the entrance of the ring? Yeah. Well, he told me to ride from there to a little red flag on the fence, and that's why I'm late. Well, I still don't know what you're talking about. Well, the little red flag wasn't on the fence. It was on the back of a truck going to San Diego. I had to fly back. Well, all right, Paul Revere. Next time, we'll nail the flag on the fence. Come on, now. Our listeners are waiting for everybody's laughing. Okay, Bob. Meredith, a little music, please. That's right. Everybody's laughing. Yes, everybody's laughing. They know that you and I are through, and everybody's laughing. I told the world you loved me, and bragged about it proudly. But since they know it's over, they're laughing at me loudly. 
and point a finger and tear apart a guy whose heart was taken through the ringer. If we could start all over, the laugh might be I was so sure it would last. I was so sure of the future. But now that it's a thing of the past, everybody's laughing. Yes, everybody's laughing. They know that you and I are. And everybody's laughing. I told the world you loved me and bragged about it proudly. But since they know it's over, they're laughing at me loudly. People love to linger so they can point a finger. waiting for. And now here she is, ladies and gentlemen, Fanny Bryce as Baby Snook. <laughs> Tonight, Daddy, played by Hanley Stafford, is in a bad way. He is suffering from the after effects of a banquet. As the scene opens, we find Daddy tossing in bed in the guest room, trying vainly to sleep. Listen. Oh. Oh, my poor head. Oh, I'm I wish I was dead. Oh. Hello, Daddy. That's all I need now. What are you doing out of bed? I can't sleep. You can't sleep. That's your husband. Why can't you sleep? Somebody left a big light on. What light? Outside my window. Oh, Snooks, that's not a light. It's the moon. Turn it off, Daddy. Now, look here, Snooks. I beg you not to bother me tonight, especially with questions. Why? Because I'm sick, and I think I'm going to need the doctor. The doctor? Yes. Now go back to sleep. All right. Bye, What is it? How did the moon get up there? Oh, I don't know. Nobody knows. It just shines, that's all. <laughs> Who turns the light on? There isn't any light on the moon. I can see a light on it. I know, but it isn't there. Hmm? At night, you see a light on the moon, which really isn't on the moon. Instead, it's the light from the sun, which is never here when the moon is here. Shall I send for the doctor, Daddy? I've already sent for him. Why? Because I'm sick. Now, please leave me alone. Why? Because you make me nervous. And the doctor says I mustn't get excited and mustn't holler. The doctor mustn't? No, I mustn't. You mustn't what? I mustn't holler! I mean, I mustn't holler. Now, please, go, go to bed. All right. Bye, Yes? The light. light's still on. Look, I just told you that that's the moon and there isn't any light. The moon shines because it reflects the light from the sun which is shining on it. Is the sun shining? Yes. Can I go out and play? No. Why? Because it's three o'clock in the morning. You said the sun was shining. It is. It's shining on the moon, but the sun is someplace else. Is the moon someplace else? No. The moon is right here, but the sun is, is in China. Where's China? It's 9,000 miles away. When will the sun be back? In the morning. How does it get there so fast? It doesn't get anywhere. We go there. To China? No. <laughs> Look, the Earth revolves on its axis and goes around the sun. 
So in the morning, we'll wear China. Wasn't China's where we were. Only we both remain in the same place. When is the doctor coming, Daddy? Never mind the doctor. Now, please go to sleep, folks. I've got a splitting headache. <laughs> All right. Daddy! Oh! Don't yell. It jars my head like a cannon. What is it? Look at all those little sparks in the sky. Those are stars. Oh. I like them. Well, that's fine. Go to bed. I want one. Oh, don't be silly. You can't have a star. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll get you one. Which one? Oh, that one. <laughs> now what's the matter? I don't want that one. I want that one. You can't have any. Why? Because that star you're pointing to is Mars. How did who get it? Mars? I didn't say it was Mars. I said it was Mars. It ain't Mars, but it's Mars? Yes. Are you sure the doctor's coming, Daddy? Forget the doctor. Now, I'm telling you the name of that planet. Every star up there has a name. Can I call that one Charlie? Its name is Mars. I want it. Oh, why was I born? Now, Mrs. Snooks, please try to understand. Those stars are millions of miles away. Nobody can reach them. Do you follow me? Where are we going? Nowhere! And you can't have any stars. Why? Because in the first place, each one of those stars is many times bigger than this whole Earth. Don't you tell anyone? Yes. Bigger than the whole Earth? Yes, and don't ask me if the doctor's coming. Now go to bed before I have a complete breakdown. All I want to do is sleep. Daddy! What is it? You want me to tell you a story? What? No. You mean you want to tell me a story? Uh-huh. I'll make you go to sleep. Well, here's a chance for me to give her a taste of her own medicine. All right. Go ahead and tell me a story. All right. I'll tell you Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> tell me the story. a short time ago, a bride and her mother-in-law had an amusing experience. It happened over a cup of coffee. It went like this. Well, Peggy, after a meal like that, I'm sure Jim will never be homesick for my cooking. Well, that's a real compliment, Mother Hogan. Peggy's a grand cook, all right, Mother. I'm only sorry that... Sorry about what, Jim? Well, usually Peggy makes marvelous coffee. Only tonight, it's, it's different. No flavor to it. Well, Jim, guess you'll have to blame me, not Peggy. You see, I brought over specially a pot of coffee that you used to rave about. But it turned out to be a fizzle. Tell me, Peggy, what kind do you use? Why, the new Maxwell House. It has so much more flavor that Jim just won't have any other coffee. Friends, if you've had trouble getting coffee that's just to your taste, coffee that's always rich, satisfying, and full-flavored, then you'll certainly appreciate two important improvements in the new Maxwell House. First, the remarkable radiant roast process roasts each coffee bean through and through, as evenly inside as out. It brings out all the full flavor of the superb coffee. So you get no bitter coffee due to parching, no weak coffee due to under-roasting. Second, the blend. A way has been found to further enrich Joel Cheek's original famous Maxwell House blend. It's smoother, more full-bodied, more downright delicious than ever before, with a wealth of cheery stimulation in every cup. So ask your grocer tomorrow for a pound of this marvelous new Maxwell House coffee. It comes in the same familiar blue super vacuum can. 
So it's always roaster fresh, always good to the last drop. Meredith Wilson's arrangement of Ferdinand the Bull is still the top. He plays it for you now. All right, Matador, Ferdinand the Bull. Thank you, Bob. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I know you'll enjoy well, the Well, if that's the way you the... feel about it, you can keep it. Musicians. <laughs> What's the matter now, Frank? Look at that band. <laughs> Looks like a group picture of a family of cannibals. <laughs> I think that drummer has prehensile toes. That means monkey. I looked it up at rehearsal. Uh, what happened, Frank? Well, I should have known. I should have known better. I never met a saxophone player yet who wasn't as hard a footpad. Uh, what happened? A few minutes ago, I was walking in the corridor looking for a place to put my script when I noticed this saxophone player talking to a very beautiful girl. I might have known it would be this. As soon as I saw them, I was struck by the tableau. The girl, a lovely, lissom flower. Mm -hmm. The saxophone player, a toad. I accosted. <laughs> I accosted the fellow, thrust the dollar bill into his hand, and asked him to get me a cigar. Oh, you felt an urge? Yes. To smoke? Yeah. Uh, well. But imagine my surprise when the fellow was gone to find I was standing with his girl beneath a spray of mistletoe. Oh. Well, being of a superstitious turn of mind, I set to work. And when the saxophone player returned, he found me bussing his fair companion. Bussing her? Yes, a Chaucerian word meaning kiss. Unfortunately, the musician hadn't studied Chaucer and immediately began making a disgusting scene. Well, I should think he would. What? Send a man for a cigar, and when he comes back, he finds you kissing his girl. I hope he got his revenge. He did. He kept my change. Well, <laughs> serves me right for trusting a musician. In the future, I'll... What's all the noise about? What's going on? This man ruined my client's hat. No, I'm sorry, sir, but we're broadcasting. What's going on here? I have a perfect right to come in here. Am I addressing Mr. Morgan? You have that honor, Mr. Prince Metal, sir. I'm an attorney. 
Attorney Prinsmetal. Yes. Well, delighted. Mr. Prinsmetal, this is Mr. Young. How do you do? How do you do? Mr. Wilson. How do you do? How do you do? And Mr. Hall. How do you do? How do you do? Well, gentlemen, <laughs> if you'll forgive me, I'll be running along. You'll find the cards and the chips uh, in wait, the left wait, door. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Mr. Morgan, I'm here on behalf of my client, and here is our bill of particulars. Uh, particularly, you've got a uh, bill. Yes. Uh, Frank Morgan versus Fred Stunk. <laughs> What's this? I don't know any Stunk. Well, I do. Frank, he represents the fellow whose hat you ruined last week with a Calcutta egg trick. Remember? Oh, don't bother me with mundane affairs today. It's not mundane, it's Thursday. Stay oh. here, Mark. <laughs> Read the bill of particulars, Mr. Morgan. Oh, well, that won't be necessary. Here's $5 for the man's hat. Thank you. Now read the bill of particulars. But, my dear sir, I don't have to read. Read I know it, that Frank. The... Uh, read it? Yes. Oh, all right. Uh, know all men by these presents, greetings to wit. Whereas Frank Morgan, defendant, did willfully and maliciously destroy the derby of the plaintiff, Fred Stunk, the said derby being valued at the sum of $10,000... $10,000 for a derby? He used it on the end of his trombone. Why am I constantly being persecuted by musicians? Read the bill of particulars. Yes, well, 10000 for the hat. Uh, plaintiff also claims 50000 damages for humiliation, 50000 punitive damages, and $124 for Bessola. Bessola? What's that? That's my client's boat. He wants to get a new bottom put on it. <laughs> Why should I buy Stunk a new bottom? For his boat? No harm in asking. <laughs> Read the rest of the complaint. All these damages are claimed by plaintiff because of Defendant Morgan's action in performing the Calcutta hat trick on December 8th, 1938, when he put it in a week. Ruined plaintiff's suit by putting the stout milk sugar in his hair. Mr. Attorney, this whole thing is irrelevant, incompetent, and infotistic. Hey, what's that? Infotistic. I don't know. I just put it in to worry him. <laughs> Mr. Prince Metal, nothing of the kind ever happened. Oh, what did happen? Well, I made one simple mistake in performing the trick, that's all. Oh, what do you mean? Well, my intention was to produce from your client's hat a sack of steaming wheat cake. I possess certain magical powers. Oh, and Frank, I... Frank, cut it out. Cut it out. Huh? Oh, well, yes. Well, I can show you exactly where I went wrong. Do you mind if I borrow your hat? Uh, well, thank you very much. Oh, Just hold uh, the hat. Oh, yeah. Frank, again, now, you please. see, what I did last Thursday was to take the two eggs and break them like oh, this. What, what I should have done was to take the eggs and break them like this. Well, the case is dismissed. I'll see you all later. Uh, Mr. Morgan. What have you got there, Warren? Not eggs. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, wait till you hear it, Bob. It's a limerick from one of our many Maxwell House friends. His name is Ad Reinhardt. Well, come on, read it. Okay, listen. There was a young man named Bello who was always quite a good fellow. His superlative spouse served the new Maxwell House, the coffee that's rich, smooth, and mellow. By the way, Warren, are many people sending in jingles or limericks about Maxwell House? They sure are, Bob, and I want to thank all of our friends who take the trouble to write them. We really do appreciate it. And by the way, the minute hand of the clock is pointing straight down. So pull up your chairs and join our friendly circle in our regular Thursday evening custom. A steaming, fragrant cup of Maxwell House and the music of Meredith Wilson. briefly for station identification. K-F-I Los Angeles. 
This is Bob Young again, continuing our good news of 1939. Now Maxwell House takes great pleasure in bringing you Charles Dickens' immortal story, A Christmas Carol, as produced by Joseph L. Mankiewicz into a glorious MGM picture. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Lionel Barrymore. Tonight, we honor Christmas in presenting an immortal story by Charles Dickens, a story which Metro-Golden-Mare has faithfully transcribed into a beautiful and inspiring picture, A Christmas Carol. I'm happy tonight to be able to introduce one of America's truly great actors, Reginald Owen, playing the role he so magnificently brings to the screen, Ebenezer Scrooge. With him, Gene Lockhart, a beloved actor, a great personality, who so perfectly plays Bob Cratchit, his charming wife, Kathleen Lockhart, who plays Mrs. Cratchit, and Anne Rutherford, Ronald Sinclair, with a fine cast of players who so ably support them and bring to the screen a great picture. Now, let's look back to the London of over a century ago. As Dickens tells us, there was once a man named Ebenezer Scrooge who scoffed at the idea of Christmas. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone with Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, covetous old sinner. A hated man in a dingy little office in London's Threadneedle Street whose partner, Jacob Marley, had died some seven years past, and whose only employee is Bob Cratchit, an abused fellow frightened of his master. It's Christmas Eve. Cratchit, thinking of the Christmas he's going to prepare for his six young children, anxiously watches the clock as it ticks past its closing time. Scrooge, sharp, cold, hard old man that he is, comes out of his office and creeps up behind Cratchit. Watching, Scrooge speaks. Ah! You keep close watch on the closing hour, Cratchit. It's half past the hour, sir. Then close up. Close up! Thank you, sir. Don't work overtime. You might make something of yourself. You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose. It's quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient, and it's not fair. If I were to stop a half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'd be bound. It's only once a year, sir. Poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier next morning. Oh, yes, sir. Then be off. Uh, a Merry Christmas, sir. Humbug. Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older, not an hour richer. If I could work my will... Every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Well, what are you waiting for? Uh, my my wages, sir, they, they, they fall due today. Can't wait to spend them, eh? There. Thank you, sir. Good day. Bob Cratchit jogs up Threadneedle Street, greeting friends and strangers alike with a jolly smile and a cheery Merry Christmas. Rounding a corner, he suddenly runs into a barrage of snowballs. One of these, better aimed than the others, knocks the hat from Bob Cratchit's head. Looking around, Bob sees a gang of urchins scurrying away. He runs after them and catches them. <laughs> I say, here now, here now. I say, sorry, Governor, we are sorry. Really, we are. <laughs> I ain't over that, but just because a fellow wears a hat, you know, that doesn't mean he can't throw a snowball. Now watch. This is the way to make a real snowball. You, you, you take the snow into your bare hands like this, yes? and then you crunch it together. Look, Governor, coming down the street, a woman copper. Huh? See if you can knock it off. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> <laughs> Right you are. Here, uh, give me room. Now then. One, two, three. <laughs> Good God. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, it was nothing. It was nothing at all. Right. <gasps> oh, Mr. Scrooge, I, 
I'm sorry, Master. I had no idea to shoot. No idea at all, truly, Master. No doubt this is your idea of a Christmas joke. I'll get your hat, sir. It's ruined. That's it. I told you before that I could find a man more capable than yourself. I need say no more. I'm... I'm back, sir? Exactly. But in my paper, sir, it says that I must have a week's notice. Your week's salary will recompense me for the price of a new hat. No! Does this hat cost 16 and 6? And your salary is 15 and 6? You owe me a shilling. Give it to me. Yes, It's a saddened Bob Cratchit who wins his way homeward on Christmas Eve. He's thinking of his wife and family. But most of all, he's thinking of his youngest son, Tim. Tiny Tim, as all his brothers and sisters call him. Tiny Tim, who's been a cripple all his life. Meantime, let's follow Scrooge to his dismal, lonely lodgings, through the barren hallways to his upstairs bedroom, where after carefully locking the door and drawing the curtains, he lights a small fire and prepares for bed. Suddenly, from the depths of the house, he hears a clanking of chains. The noise of those chains comes closer, closer. Through the stout oak paneling of Scrooge's door, there comes a shadowy figure. A figure that's wound about with a chain of cash boxes and keys and padlocks and ledges and heavy purses wrought in steel. Scrooge wets his lips and manages to speak. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Marley? But you are dead. Yes. I've been dead these seven long years. Why? Why do you trouble me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men. If that spirit does not go forth in life... It must do so after death. You are bound in heavy chains. I wear the chains I forged in life. But why? Why? Because in life my spirit never walked beyond the limits of our money-changing hold. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence. All these were my business. this time of year that I suffer most, to see the want I could have stopped, the suffering I could have solaced, the hunger I could have satisfied. That may be true, but... Hear me. I am here to warn you that you have one chance of escaping my fate. One chance, Ebenezer Scrooge. What is it? You will be haunted by three spirits. Three spirits? I... I think I'd rather not, Jacob. Unless you suffer these three visitations, your fate will be the same as mine. Jacob, don't leave me yet. Jacob. Expect the first when the bell tolls one, the second on the stroke of two, the third upon the last vibration of three. Jacob! Jacob! Wait! Jacob! Scrooge pleads in vain. Like a wisp of fog, the ghost slips out of the window. Scrooge weaves toward his bed, tumbles in, and pulls the coverlet over his head. It's one minute before one. Scrooge pokes his head slowly from under the coverlet and trembles to a sitting position and looks nervously round. Suddenly, his room is flooded with light. The curtains on his bed are ripped apart. Scrooge is facing the first spirit. Ebenezer Scrooge? Yes? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Arise from your bed and come with me. What is your business? Your welfare. Your reclamation. Come, step up on the windowsill. The windowsill? But, but... Have no fear. Bear but a touch of my hand on your heart, and you shall be safe. You fall. We'll fall. No, we won't fall. We'll fly easily and gently across the London rooftop. 
high above the chimney. Fezziwig's warehouse. I was apprenticed here. Look. Look in the window. It's old Fezziwig. It's old Fezziwig alive again. But who is that boy with him? I seem to remember his face. That boy is yourself. Listen. Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge. Yes, sir. Do you observe the time? Five minutes past seven, sir. You've let me work you five minutes overtime. No more work tonight. Christmas Eve, Ebenezer. Close up the shop. Yes, sir. Uh, now, about tomorrow. It's a holiday, of course, but uh, you're expected to spend at least part of it with me. Eating Christmas dinner. Thank you, sir. Uh, and here. <laughs> this is for you. A sovereign? A whole sovereign? I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> don't try to thank me, Ebenezer. Don't try to thank Do you remember what you have just seen, Scrooge? Yes. Old Fezziwig was very kind to me. Yes, he was. But he's dead now. Perhaps you feel you'd like to repay his kindness to you. Well? You have a clock, Bob Cratchit. Old Fezziwig would have been so happy if you had shown your gratitude to him by showing kindness to others. Your clock, for instance. Business is business. I'm a good businessman. My time grows short. I have shown you a scene from your childhood. I have yet to show you the black years of your life. Your gradual enslavement to greed. Your ruthlessness. Your ingratitude. No, no. Your wretched thirst for gold. No, no, leave me. I can't stand more. I can't stand more. Here in my bed. Yes, that's it. I was dreaming. You were not dreaming, Ebenezer Scrooge. Who? Who are you? It is two o'clock. Come closer and know me better. Yes, yes. I am the ghost of the Christmas present. What are we going to do? Walk in the world on this Christmas night. you to see and hear and feel the Christmas in the world this night. Did you say walk or fly? Walk. Touch my robe. This is the home of your clock, Bob Cratchit. It's not a very large place, is it? But how could it be large on the salary you pay him? Perhaps he doesn't budget his money well. Look, they're eating their Christmas dinner. There's Bob Cratchit at the head of the table and his wife and their children. Tell me, Spirit, why does that little boy, the one whom they call Tim, why does he look so ill? He's been crippled all his life. Spirit, tell me if Tiny Tim will live. If the shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, surely he will be spared. With the kind of care that money can buy, who can tell? But Bob Cratchit has no money. Not even a position, I've heard. No, if all this remains unaltered by the future... The next Christmas, we'll not find Tiny Tim here. But he mustn't die. This can't happen. I, I... Oh, what of it? Surely you don't care. But I do. No, Scrooge. Tom, my time with you is up. We must return. But look. Inside, Bob is telling a story. Philip, please let me hear Bob's story. No, we must go. But it's about Aladdin and the magic lamp. Please let me stay. I won't come with you. I'm going to stay. Don't act like a fool, man. You don't like Christmas. But I do. I do like Christmas. I love Christmas. <laughs> I love Christmas. <laughs> Scrooge finds himself alone. Alone on a bleak, windswept moor. He looks across the moor in terror. Coming like a mist along the ground toward him is a draped and hooded phantom. Slowly, silently, this phantom approaches, 
humbly Scrooge bows his head. You, you are the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You're about to show me things that have not happened, but will happen in the future, is that so, Spirit? You don't answer. Ghost of the future, I, I know you're here to do me good. And as I hope to be another man from what I was, I'm ready to accompany you. Won't you speak? Lead on, then. I shall follow gladly. Bob Cratchit's home again. They, everybody. All the children look so sad. Mrs. Cratchit is knitting. It must be getting near your father's time. He's past it, Mummy. So we have walked on slowly last few evenings. I've known him to walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Very fast indeed. And so have I. Often. But he was very light to carry. And his father loved him so that it was no trouble. No trouble. There's your father at the door. Hello there, my nippers. Hello, my dear. Bob. <laughs> uh, this chair feels good. <clears throat> I I saw Mr. Scrooge's nephew today. You did, dear? Yes. Oh, he is a nice fellow. He, he saw I looked a trifle down. Uh, just a trifle, you know. He asked me what was wrong. I told him about, about Tim. He's such a sweet fellow somehow, I, I didn't mind telling him. I'm heartily sorry for it, Mr. Cratchit, he said, and heartily sorry for your good wife. <laughs> by the by, how, how he ever knew that, I don't know. You what, my dear? That you were a good wife. <laughs> it really seemed that he knew our Tim and felt with us. I'm sure he's a good soul. He is. He is. And I'm sure, children, that when we remember how gentle and patient Tim was, we shan't quarrel among ourselves, and in doing it, forget our Tim. No, Daddy, no, no, never. No. I'm very happy. I am very happy. Poor Tim. Poor tiny Tim. Everyone who knew him feels sorrow. Sorrow they would never feel for me. What place is this? It looks like a graveyard, a cemetery. Everything looks so bleak and cold and... It is a graveyard. What are you pointing at? A grave. It says... Ebenezer Scrooge. My grave, and not a flower or a blade of grass on it. No, no. Why do you show me this if I am past all hope? I shall change my way of living. I will try to greet Christmas all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirit of all three shall be in my heart. I shall never forget the lessons that they teach. Tell me that this will change my future. Tell me that this is not my end. Please! Congratulations, Reginald Owen. Dean Lockhart, Kathleen Lockhart, and Ann Rutherford. You were truly magnificent in the Christmas Carol. For no story is more timely than this when all Americans are praying for peace. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And as Tiny Tim says, God bless us, everyone. Thank you, Mr. Barrymore. And may we extend an appreciation and thanks to Franz Waxman, who composed the original music for our radio version and who also conducted the orchestra for us tonight. Likewise, an orchestra to Edwin L. Marin, who directed the radio version of A Christmas Carol, as well as the picture. 
And now, Tony Martin returns to sing one of the famous Victor Herbert songs from the operetta, The Fortune Teller. Tony sings Gypsy Love Song. The birds of the forest are calling for thee And the shades and the glades are lonely Summer is there with her blossoms fair And you are absent only No bird that nests in the greenwood tree but sighs to greet you and kiss you. All the violets yearn, yearn for your safe return, but most of all, I miss you. another of those good news satires, if men went Christmas shopping as women do. Frank Morgan and Bob Young are first in the line of Christmas shoppers waiting for the department store doors to open on a big pre-Christmas sale. Young, you realize we've been standing here since 7 o'clock this morning? Yeah. My feet are killing oh, me. Oh, mine too. Any minute, my corns will pop. This is worse than Dollar Day at the 5 and 10. Well, I hope this sale is worthwhile. I did all my washing and ironing last night so I could make it. Oh, this is a very reliable store. Last Christmas, I exchanged some of my gifts here six and seven times. Mm. Oh, Morgan, who takes care of the baby while you're out shopping every day? Well, I have a little man that comes in. Oh. <laughs> He's so good with babies. He was the one himself, you know, once. <laughs> we put the baby on a scientific diet. We're feeding him garlic now. Feeding the baby garlic? Of course. When he cries during the night, we can find him without turning on the light. Oh, I see. <laughs> Say, for goodness sake, will you stop pushing, buddy? Oh. <laughs> Who's pushing? I was just breathing. Well, when then I... breathe easier. Oh. This place is crowded enough without somebody Listen climbing. Listen here, you. Why, Hanley. Hanley Stafford. Why, Morgie, Morgie. It's you. Why, I haven't seen you since Students Puny's cooking school last May. And youngsy wungsy, you all sing you. Staffy, how did you know? You know you look positively radiant. You must be in love. Mm-hmm. I'm engaged. Gwendolyn said, will you? And I said, yes. <laughs> we were going to get married right away and move in with her folks, but uh, we can't. Why not? Her folks just moved in with their folks. Oh. <laughs> Say, boys, I think they're going to open the doors and start the sale. Now let's try to stick together. But if we do get separated, we can all meet in the men's underwear. Yes. All right. Oh, they're opening the doors now. Let's go, fellas. Come on. Oh, yes. 
Phew. Well, we made this counter anyways. Let's pick out all the good things before that mob of vultures beats us to it. Where's the sales boy? Oh, there. And will you just looky who it is? Meredith Wilson. Oh. Well, oh, uh, hello, boys. Hello. Something I can show you. Wilson. <laughs> what are you doing behind that counter? Well, I'm working here. Just thought I'd pick up some extra cash over the holidays so I could buy a darling little coat I saw in the window of the store across the street. Oh, I know the one. Oh, Wilson, you'll be an absolute dreamboat in it. I think so. Maybe I'll have it fixed with a little fur collar. You know, something to match my personality. I don't think they're wearing skunk this year. Why, of course not. <laughs> now, listen here, Morgan. If I... Why, you... Oh, no, boys, just... please, please. Save your fighting till the bridge game tomorrow night. We have our Christmas shopping to do now. Young is right. Mm, uh, old Stafford, look at this lovely blue tie. It would be enchanting on you. Just matches your eyes. Yes, it is nice material. What is it? Rayon. Oh, I can't wear rayon. It chafes me. <laughs> Say, fellas, don't look now, but don't we know that sales boy at the next counter? Of course, that's Kenny Grossman's cousin. The one who just got divorced. He well, did. How did you like you know that? that? But no. Oh, of course. My. Oh, I remember his wife now. She's that big fat woman who always wore the red earrings. Yes. From a rear view, she looked like the back of a greyhound bus. <laughs> did he get alimony? Well, I don't know, but I think he won the custody of his wife's parents. <laughs> oh. uh, here we are, gapping again and not getting our Christmas shopping done. Uh, Wilson, I'll take this little uh, bed jacket with the mules to match. Oh, no, Stafford, now, not that set. Please, don't take it away from me. I fell in love with that the minute I saw it. Oh, oh all right. I'll take this chenille robe instead. Oh, Stafford, you're an angel without a dirty face. Now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wilson, I'll take this purple polka dot sports blouse. A gift for my butcher. He'll love it. Well, I'll have them all wrapped and be back in a teensy little minute. Don't go away now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think Wilson carries his age well? He should. He's had years of practice. I don't like to say anything, but did you men notice his hair? Looks like he had it cut at the pet shop. <laughs> Do any of you happen to know his brother, Cedric? Oh, yes. Isn't he the messiest-looking individual? Yeah. He told me he's trying to get a patent on a bathtub. <laughs> he thinks it's something new. Shh, Jiggers, here oh. comes Wilson back. Well, here are your packages, all done up in darling little ribbons and Santa Claus stickers. Oh, oh lovely. That's lovely. That's lovely. Well, let's go, boys. Oh, Wilson, where's the main wrapping department? The third floor left, between the vacuum cleaners and the woolen nighties. Uh, <laughs> this year, I'm giving novelty baskets of homemade jams and jellies. And I want to see about having them wrapped. Oh, isn't that a clever Christmas idea, giving food? I don't know. Last year, my cousin Egbert sent me a box of imported Limburger cheese. And not knowing what it was, I put it under the tree. What happened? The tree died. Oh, well, well, goodbye. Well, 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 thank you so much for everything. Now, Warren Hall. Thanks, Bob. Friends, do you really know how truly rich and satisfying the flavor of the new Maxwell House coffee is? On this point, Mr. Harold Renfrey of 118 Kemper Avenue, Butte, Montana, wrote recently, quote, I cannot resist the temptation of telling you the big surprise I got about ten days ago. I'm just a mine worker, but I like my coffee, and for the last 25 years have been using what I thought was the best coffee on the market. But for the last two years, it has been getting more bitter all the time. Then about ten days ago, my wife bought a can of Maxwell House. When I came off shift, I knew we had found a coffee that's different as soon as I opened the door. But I got my big surprise when I drank my first cup. No bitterness. Just the real fresh coffee flavor. Unquote. Thank you, Mr. Renfrey, for your nice letter. Friends, more and more people every day are delighting in the new Maxwell House. So if you haven't tried Maxwell House lately... You're missing the coffee that's smoother, richer, and more satisfying than any you probably have ever tried before. The improvement in the new Maxwell House is due not only to the marvelously enriched blend, but also to the radiant roast process, which roasts each bean evenly through and through. So there's no weak coffee due to under-roasting, no bitter coffee due to parching. The new and improved Maxwell House comes in two grinds. The regular grind Maxwell House is correct for the percolator or boiled methods. The drip grind Maxwell House is correct for all drip and glass coffee makers. Two different coffee making principles, so naturally, two different grinds. 
Tomorrow, discover for yourself how much more flavor and more satisfaction and what a wealth of cheery stimulation this new Maxwell House brings you. Buy a pound, or if you have a large family, order the more economical two-pound can. You'll say that now, more than ever, this is the coffee good to the last drop. Tonight in the MGM Concert Hall, Meredith Wilson again asks, if all the music in the world were suddenly destroyed and you could choose just one composition to preserve and hear again, what number would you choose? Tonight's selection is the combined choice of a parking lot attendant, a prominent Chicago attorney, and a golf pro in Cleveland. They have chosen Beethoven's immortal Moonlight Sonata. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, a big holiday program starring Robert Taylor, who plays the role of a daring spy in a thrilling dramatic sketch. In addition, of course, all the regular gang, Fanny Bryce and Hanley Stafford, Frank Morgan, Tony Martin, Meredith Wilson and his orchestra, and yours truly. This is Bob Young saying good night until next Thursday. In the meantime, go to the movies and take the family with you. <laughs> This is Warren Hull saying good night and good luck for the makers of Maxwell House. 
The coffee that's always good to the last drop. This is a national broadcasting company. This is KFI Los Angeles. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.